from recruiting and consulting firm RiderFlex. I'm your host, Steve Urban, and here is your RiderFlex podcast episode of the day. Right. We're all trying to do Zoom from home and it's like, okay, yeah. let me make sure the dog's like in the other room. Let me make sure, you know, all this stuff is, let me make sure nobody's down streaming, downloading stuff and dragging yeah. my internet, you know? Uh, all right. Gareth Evans on the Rider Flex podcast. How you doing, Gareth? I'm great. It's good to be hanging out. Thank you so much for joining. Uh, interesting uh, business you got going on. I did uh, all the homework on you I could uh, this morning. I'm, I'm on the treadmill. I'm watching some old YouTube videos <laughs> and some clips about you and the company. I'm trying to catch up this morning, having some coffee. So uh, super interesting topic and the business that you're in. But before we get to that, let's find out about Gareth, the person. Give us a little uh, history, even going all the way back to, you know, your mom and dad, where you grew up and some early family stuff, if you don't mind. Yeah, sure. Um, so, yeah, Gareth Evans, currently based out of sunny San Diego, but originally from just outside Liverpool, England. Um, grew up there, mom and dad, brother and sister. Um, I think that really set the scene for the life to come. You know, mom and dad really were all about experiences and adventure, you know, not really materialistic things it was all about setting the right structure um with some you know flexibility so that you could go off and explore and do what you wanted to do but always setting that example of you know trusting relationships which has really kind of set me up to want to explore the world build the right relationships hang out with good people and so um yeah kind of anything outdoorsy is kind of my passion uh, mountain biking motorbiking um, I've got a, a wife, Melanie, who is also an avid mountain biker and triathlete and so super athletic and a six-year-old son who keeps us both very busy. <laughs> uh, did you meet her doing one of these uh, activities like say, in some sort of event or something or you just or you we, you just had that in common when you met? I'm just curious. Yeah, we actually uh, met through work. We were both... Um, I was working for a small consultancy firm. I had moved to Canada at the time. And um, one day, every Friday, we'd get together as a company, a couple of hundred people, very kind of young um, age, uh, very adventurous, very outgoing. And we'd have a paddling pool full of beers, and we'd all kind of talk about what had gone on in the week previous. And the new hires would be introduced. And this one week, Melanie was introduced, and she had these pink shoes on and bubbly attitude and was a high high level soccer player and yeah she she caught my eye straight away so um it was a it was a cool company i'd say probably over 50 percent of the company was either married dating or uh, or hanging out for sure so it was that sort yeah. of environment when you first met her where you're like man i wonder if she's in better shape than i am I wonder <laughs> yeah. and she, she still is <laughs> uh that's pretty so she's from canada yeah, Calgary, Canada. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. All right. Liverpool and Calgary now living in sunny San Diego. Wow, that's a major change in weather for you guys, right? Yeah. And my son was actually um, born in Australia, so he's a real – he really struggles with probably identity or maybe he will in the future. <laughs> but, yeah, Australian-born, English dad, Canadian mom living in the U.S. So, yeah, he's got a, a unique character. Um, but, yeah, we – we spent a lot of time in the, the cold winters of Canada and then 
explored the world, spent some time in the Middle East, Australia, yeah. and we got a real uh, feel for being able to be outdoors all day, every day, and not have to even think about the weather. And I'm not sure we could go back to the, the long, cold winters. Yeah, you know, I have not been to as many places as you, but Colorado in general, and then Southern California, especially San Diego, like, man, those two are like, they're way up there, you know, they're way up there. <laughs> uh, you know, if I could uh, tie in some of the outdoor activities I like to do in the mountains of Colorado with the San Diego weather, that would yeah. be paradise. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a good spot. You can actually find good good mountains from here. So this weekend we're going to go skiing up in the mountains up above LA, you know, the Big Bear area. So it's cool. it's accessible if you're willing to. It, it's accessible. Spend a bit of yeah. yeah. I remember the very first time I went to San Diego as a young man. I was probably in my twenties on a business trip, and I remember coming out of the airport and getting my rental car, driving down to 101. You know, driving up the 101, I guess. Uh, and I'm on Pacific Coast Highway thinking, man, I know why people like to live here. It's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, okay. So very cool. So by the way, when's the last time you did like an Iron Man, Iron Man or something? What was your last major event? Major event was actually in Colorado. We did Breck Epic, six day mountain bike race together, Mel and I. Um, wow. That was pretty intense. That was altitude tough weather conditions so that that was probably the biggest and hardest event in a while that was the year wow. before covid yeah. six days um what do you like sleep in a sleeping bag like on the side of the trail and then get up and what how do you do that now uh, luckily they were kind of they call it a cloverleaf format so every day from breckenridge they do a route and then you come back to breckenridge and then you'd you know stay in your hotel room or your Airbnb. okay okay so you, okay but Have long days yeah. that's not too bad have you done any have you done anything where you're like you don't shower for four days and you're like yeah you i've done, done a few intense adventure races i think the longest was 36 hours straight to a point where i was certainly hallucinating and falling asleep while riding i was actually seeing in canada alligators walking across the road that's how tired i was <laughs> i couldn't take off my jacket like my mel was trying to help me in one of the transition areas saying you know you need to cool down take your jacket off and I'm just staring at the Velcro strap, not even knowing what to do with it. it was, yeah, pretty. Wow. Yeah, it's good that, though. That's pretty cool. Oh, that's pretty yeah. cool. Uh, do you? Because um, you're, I'm guessing you're. How old are you? Forty? Forty-ish? Close. Yeah, thirty-eight. Thirty-eight. Okay, thirty-eight. Um, you said motorbike, right? And yep. uh, as you get, because I rode motorcycles when I was younger, and I still ride my ATV. I'm 54, and I still ride my four-wheeler in the mountains. But I'm, um, what's the word I want to use? I'm careful <laughs> because yeah. my back and my spine and just you know, think different things will will hurt if I if I get too crazy. Do you think about that now getting getting closer to 40 when you when you jump a hill on your motorcycle and you land pretty hard do you think about <laughs> what am i what am i doing what, what what am i possibly tearing up do you think about any of these things i'm definitely more cautious on the mountain bike and motorbike to a point where i, I, <laughs> I feel probably a bit embarrassed to say this but you know the game spike ball where it's like a net and you it's almost like volleyball, but you stand around in a circle with a team and you bounce a ball off the net and you try and keep it in the air and beat each other. I actually like pulled a stomach muscle playing spike ball on the beach. 
<laughs> and I've struggled with that for months now. So that's when you know that you're getting old and you you need to <laughs> you can't even play beach activities without hitting yourself. <laughs> uh, totally, totally get it. Totally understand, my friend. Well, it's cool that you're in shape and still able. You're still able to do lots of stuff now. You still got a ways to go before you have to worry too much. <laughs> yeah. Um, walk walk us into your career a little bit. You know, when you when you got out of college. Uh, and then kind of walk us through, like, did you know what you wanted to be when you grew up? I mean, I know you, you, you majored in environmental science, I think, right at Lancaster university, but did you, did you have a plan or, or did you know you wanted to be an entrepreneur at some point? Walk us through your career a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Quite a unique background actually, in the sense that I always wanted to be an air force pilot. So all my schooling was leading up to that moment. Oh. And when I went to university, I did environmental science because it was something I enjoyed, but it was a way of getting into the university then to then get access to the air squadron. So in the UK, the Royal Air Force allows you to become a volunteer reserve pilot and they pay for you to be trained while you're going through university. Oh. And so I spent three years kind of learning how to be a pilot on the weekends and a few evenings a week in collaboration with doing my degree. But then it got to the end of university and the Air Force had um, purchased a bunch of new jets that were now several years behind being delivered and they trained up all these pilots, no aircraft. And so they stopped hiring pilots for a few years. So this kind of culmination of events led to me um, not joining the Air Force. Okay. And I was kind of lucky enough that I had taken a year off between school and university. So I'd already traveled the world. Uh, done a fair bit of charity work and things like that and cool i kind of got some of those life experiences to know that i still didn't really know what i wanted to do (laughs) but it was probably a blessing in disguise not going into the air force because i'm a bit too freestyle for maybe the that lifestyle so then i almost took another year out after university and tried to figure out what i wanted to do we actually spent a couple of months training with the Shaolin monks in Northeast China with a few uh, university friends. And we got some cool, fun, unique, once in a lifetime experiences. And then I started running out of money, ended up in Canada, um, spent How? time. How'd you, how'd you end up in Canada? There was actually, um, at the time I was dating a girl whose family lived there and we planned on going there. That that didn't happen, you know, it didn't happen together, but I felt like I didn't necessarily want to be in the UK. So I moved out to Canada anyway. Um, and then the oil and gas industry was booming there at the time. Okay. And I had the environmental science degree, didn't have a clue what I could do with it, but it seemed like contaminated lands was the, the place to be. And there's a lot of opportunity for cleaning up old oil and gas web well sites. I see. So, so I got the chance to hang out with the company we're talking about at the start, you know, really young, high energy um, company. And I started cleaning up oil and gas well sites for companies like Shell throughout the Rocky Mountains. Really good experience, you know, being out in the middle of nowhere, many hours from the city, camping out on site sometimes, cool. hanging out with big cool. construction crews, digging up old well sites. So I got a lot of leadership experience and just hands-on practical um, how to manage different different people, different budgets. Um, and I did that for about five years before sort of putting my hand up and saying, you know, throw any opportunity that you can at me. 
And I was lucky enough that our company got acquired by a major global engineering company, Worley. And okay. the chance cropped up to move to the Middle East. And I spent two years in and out of Iraq doing um, social, environmental, and liability assessments for oil and gas companies wanting to come into Iraq post the I, I World see. War. Okay. So that was a super stressful time living on US airbase, getting right. mortar attacked attack most evenings, uh, personal protection teams taking us to and from our work sites. Well, well you uh, weren't married then, were you? Yeah, I was married and Mel was in Dubai and she kind of held down the fort and it was stressful for her for sure as well because wow. you'd, be, wow. you'd be on a call like this at the end of a work day and then suddenly alarms would go off in the background, the internet oh. would get shut down and she Ooh. wouldn't know what would happen and so that was pretty intense, but it was a really good experience uh, for us to both move away from Canada and try something new to together. Okay. And Dubai being such a central location allowed us to travel all around the world from there. Mm -hmm. And then through my networks, um, Perth, Australia was then going through a super cycle, a lot of mining companies, a lot of oil and gas companies. And I was asked to move there and lead a, an environmental team of about 150 people. And then and your, uh, my you go, to, you, go, you go to your wife and you're like, hey, we're going to move again. And now we're yeah. divided. Is she, is, she, is she like, yeah, cool, let's do it? Or is she like, okay, I guess, I guess. <laughs> yeah, no, a big part of my, my, I suppose, our collective success is um, the fact that just say yes and get on with it and you know, okay. embrace the adventure. So cool. I think there's definitely moments where you get sick of packing up your bags again and yeah. leaving friends and family. And yeah. that's, that's certainly tiring you know trying to start fresh all over again multiple times over but it's also an adventure and it's yeah. really exciting for sure and you guys are both adventurous so it ties yeah. that in right so okay Definitely. So you go, yeah so you get to had you been to australia before that before you went um just for kind of brief trip myself mel had never been that was the first time um all right so and, you move yeah yeah and then actually, I had a really good mentor who suggested, you know, you've been in the environmental field for a while now, and I know you've got bigger aspirations. I suggest, you know, throwing a few zigzags into your career. How would you like to take on a commercial strategy pursuits role? So helping the business frame its strategy and then go out and win the work. And so that really changed my whole outlook. I learned a lot more about the broader industry, about how to win work, how to tell a story. Uh, so that was that was a really good move. And then the US then contacted us to say, we love what you've achieved in Australia. Would you bring those same learnings back to the company here? And so we got to move back to North America. We ended up in Calgary. We went through one winter and decided we didn't want to be there. <laughs> I, I had achieved what I needed to achieve in the job, you know, transferring that knowledge. And then a business development opportunity came up in California. Uh, in the energy sector, and so for I took that company, for another for another company, same company. Oh, like, oh, okay. Literally okay. spent fifteen years traveling around the world with Wally. Okay, um, and so took on the business development role. Uh, learned a lot about how to sell and build relationships and networks, and a lot about the energy industry. And that led into then leading the energy team, consulting team for Wally, um, and that's where I then met my now co-founder and we incubated the idea of vector uh, within Wally in collaboration with our other parent company zendi and then we launched vector in november okay. 29. 
Okay, so let's talk right there. Let me let me stop you right there. I want to ask you some yeah, questions. Yeah. So you and your friend are, are, are having beers on the side after work saying, let's do it. We've got to do our own thing. Let's start our own thing. Is that, is it, was it uh, over a year? Was it over six months? You, you guys are talking entrepreneurial conversation. How does it uh, develop? Like, are you telling, are you calling him saying, come on, man, let's do, let's start something. Or how does that, how'd that happen? Yeah. So we were consultants trying to sell a service to the industry. And we saw that um, the cost of doing it the old fashioned way was just, it created too much of a barrier to entry. So people would have to pay us 50, 100, $200,000 to do a study to assess whether there was an energy solution for their business needs. Okay. And we realized that to pay that much up front would prevent people from wanting to consider it altogether. It was just, it was too much of a pill to swallow. Okay. And so we were kind of living through that pain and then Tristan and um, some other key members actually, including his, his wife, Andrea started looking at the market and came across some unique software called Zendi that allows you to design and optimize a, an alternate energy system extremely quickly, extremely accurately, and consider all the complexities that go into designing these systems with a, in a, in a really seamless way. So we used it as consultants for a little over a year and validated its value, but also saw that that was just one piece of the challenge the market was facing. The market was still quite nascent, quite unorganized. There was no uh, consistent processes and workflows. So we then kind of proposed to our company at the time, we think there's a business opportunity here. And we, we pitched it, we incubated it, and we kind of entrepreneurially convinced our key stakeholders that there was a business there and that they should invest in it. So gotcha. not, not a unique entrepreneurial story. We definitely didn't go out there and punt it on our own. You know, we had to take a lot of stakeholders on the journey. Yeah. So, okay. So you didn't, yeah, you didn't have to bootstrap it on your own and eat ramen no. noodles for six months, but, but it is a good, it is a good learning piece for some of the listeners where you, so correct me if I'm wrong. You guys were consultants working your business using Zindi, the software. So Zindi was, at that time, a partner or a vendor for you, I guess, to your consulting firm, so to speak. Yeah, exactly. We negotiated a, a an exclusive license for us to use it. And okay, okay, create a gotcha. differentiated offering. Gotcha. I mean that that's a that's an avenue for the listeners for the podcast here for anybody that has an entrepreneurial spirit. You know, you you can figure out a way to partner with a vendor or a manufacturer or, or somebody that you're already in a quote, relationship with, you can pitch an idea to them. And sometimes they'll, they'll, they'll sponsor you or support you or invest in you or whatever. And so that's right. Yeah. Great, great move. We're, we're so, so uh, you guys, you, you put together this plan, you schedule a meeting with Zindi and you're like, okay, cool. Let's go ask them to, to put some money into this. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. So, Zendi and Wally were super supportive. You know, they saw the business opportunity together and invested in it and helped us launch Vector and today are, are still our parent companies. Okay, so they are, when you say parent company, um, th this is a, a wholly owned subsidiary that you have equity in? How, what's the structure? Yeah, it's a, it's a standalone C Corp Delaware company, but it's... Okay essentially a joint venture between Wally and Zendi today. So okay. 
they've they've backed it and financed it, and then we've got an employee stock option pool. I see. All right. So you you do you will own a piece as you move along. Is that how that yeah. works? Yeah. Okay. Very good. All right. Okay. Cool. Uh, that's how that was set up. Congratulations, by the way, on pitching. Yeah. Them thanks. And getting, and getting them to. I mean, that's a big deal, right? I mean, you know. Yeah. You're, you're, you're pitching. It was definitely. Right? A, yeah, it's definitely a great learning experience because you're dealing with a you know a, a sixty thousand person engineering company that's got its processes and procedures and workflows, and then Zendy essentially is a was a a startup in their own right. And so trying to bring those cultures and expectations and together and create a deal that everyone was happy with was, yeah, it was a really, really good experience. Did you have to meet with the Zindi CEO? Yeah. Yeah. That's why I'm in San Diego. He was, he's based here and his team's here. Okay. Was the first meeting, like you walk into the conference room, he's like, okay, now what do you guys want to do? Tell me what do you guys want? <laughs> uh, they, they've been thinking about this industry for a long time. You know, they've been working on their, their solution for 10 years and it's it's super unique really really smart people great technology and so they have big aspirations for how it can be applied to help the industry move forward so this was a natural fit awesome okay give us the vecta overview real quick the three minute elevator pitch you know for everybody listening go for it yep so vecta is the energy transition market platform we're essentially empowering commercial and industrial business owners today to independently assess their energy needs and give them access to be able to um, compare. I've got a central grid utility provided energy infrastructure today. So I pay utility for energy. I am suffering either cost escalations, reliability impacts, or my customer base is expecting me to reduce my CO2 emissions. They seem to, they're the big three drivers. What are my options? And so Vector empowers them to assess their options very quickly. We do that independently. We do it agnostic of the providers. And then we provide the tools, the processes, and the workflows for that project that has the right return on investment and the right business case to then progress through its life cycle within the marketplace and be connected into the right stakeholders. So whether that's equipment suppliers, constructors, someone wanting to finance the project. So we're really bringing all the pieces of the puzzle together. And the analogy would be, it's like your, let's say your holiday buying experience 10 years ago, you'd have to call an airline, a rental car company, an insurance company, or you go to, today Expedia and you give it some parameters, you know, I want to go to Mexico, here's my date range, here's what I'm interested in and it gets packaged up for you. We essentially are creating the same experience for people in the industry today who, you know, people don't know where to turn. You know, we saw in Texas a few weeks ago, the power went out for right. almost a week because of cold weather. And now there'll be businesses who have lost revenue as a result of that. They are worried about their energy security the cost will likely go up because the utility will now have to invest a lot of money into um, future-proofing the grid. And the alternate to that is actually creating your own on-site energy system. And so that isn't straightforward. It's complex in nature, but we simplify the process and, and really take all the pain off the end user's hands and allow them to go on the journey and be super excited and creative with it and see the potential of a cleaner, more reliable, cost-effective energy solution. 
without having to do all the heavy lifting of working with consultants and constructors and sort of managing all these different deal flows and contracts. Is Vecta the single point of contact? So, so Vecta is my, my consulting contact and my SaaS so, solution. Is it, a, is it a consulting company or, or, or a SaaS company or both? It's a marketplace. So essentially, we take a success fee on transactions that would occur within the marketplace. Today, there's a lot more, you know, because it's quite a nascent industry. There is some degree of white glove service or consulting just to, you know, we want to learn through doing, we want to go on the journey, we want to be in the trenches with the customers. So we have a team of experts who have developed these projects in the past, and Mm -hmm. it'll help the customer go on that journey and figure out what the right solution is for their needs. And then all the time, we're automating that process as we're going through it and learning. So, so the business model you're making, you're getting paid as a consulting firm and you're making money off of whatever solution you provide and implement, whether it's windmills or not, or not windmill, or, or whether, yeah, it's, yeah. whether it's, you know, yeah, go ahead. You know, yeah. So, so say you're a, a mining manager and you've got a mine site and today you're importing diesel to your site. And it's costing you an absolute fortune. And then there's a, a logistics issue and you can't get diesel to, to your site and your, your mindset has to shut down. There is an option to consider maybe solar plus storage plus a wind turbine. But you don't know, you know, what is the right solution for me? What can it help me achieve? How much reliability do, do I get from that? Um, can I reduce my carbon emissions as well as reducing my operating costs? There's lots of questions to be answered. And so the technology allows you to plug in, here's my, here's my current situation today, here's my desired outcome. And then it does all the thinking for you and recommends, here is your customized energy solution to meet your needs. And then our software platform then connects that project to the other stakeholders in the market to then execute it. So we're just facilitating an outcome. We're not, we're not the constructor, we're not the equipment provider. Um, we don't finance the projects, but all these pieces of the puzzle today are quite disparate, unconnected, um, complex tasks in their own right. So we're trying to bring it all together into one consistent, repeatable workflow. Mm. Okay. So in layman's terms, I'm going to repeat back to you kind yeah. of what I'm hearing. Um, so just for a commoner like me, so let, let, let's say I own a giant warehouse up in the mountains somewhere and yeah. I have some trucks and logistics and warehousing and all this stuff. You can help me. And first of all, so first of all, I, my power goes down all the time and I need like backup. I don't know. Cause the, the yeah. winter comes, I lose electricity. It sucks. So I, I need some other backup of some kind. So that's number one is reliability and backup. I'm also like getting pressure from all of my green friends that say I'm polluting the planet and I'm not sustainable and I'm not, you know, healthy enough for the planet. So I'm getting pressure from, from those guys. That's right. Um, uh, and, and third is what, so, so a, you're giving me more reliability, B you're making it better for the planet and C you, you eventually are saving me money overall. Does that, does that sound right? Yes. Okay. <laughs> when designed in the right way, you know, that's, that's the recipe for success. You know, today 
the current business as usual process, it tries to consider these things, but it, it there's no way in the market today outside of the way Zendi's designed the optimizer to consider the technical parameters as well as the financial business case. Mm -hmm. And so bringing together the technical solution as well as the commercial aspect really provides a, a unique and differentiated offering. Mm -hmm. And then as, a, as that warehouse owner, you don't want to then start paying a consultant to do a, a feasibility study for you and then a constructor to do the engineering design. Mm. And then the constructor then has to go to market and get prices from each of the equipment suppliers. Mm -hmm. That takes three, six, 12 months. Mm. You then decide you don't want to finance it yourself. You want someone else to come in and finance it. So there's all these moving pieces. How do you bring all that together in one integrated platform where you get all those answers at your fingertips? Mm, gotcha. Okay. I think I got it. I think I got it. How big is the company uh, employee wise? How many, how many employees now? We're 25 between right. full-time and you know, contract people. Wow. 20, 25 and what, two years? Yeah. Well, just over a year, we started hiring March of last year. So yeah, that's been the, the biggest challenge and exciting piece of the puzzle is growing the team through COVID. You know, it's been completely remote. It's been it's been a wild ride trying to build the team and the culture and set the right tone and doing all that virtually. Plus, you're learning how to be CEO. Yes. Right. <laughs> what have you learned so far? What are what are a couple of tips you would give a a brand new CEO? They just got promoted recently. They're listening to this episode. Tell them what you've learned so far in the early stages. Yeah, I'd say um, it's hard. For sure, <laughs> you know, don't go into it expecting it to be easy. Um, I, I think the biggest takeaways for me is, you know, set that really audacious goal, get people in the team that can buy into the mission. Um, it's all about the people for sure. I think um, we are learning all the time that it's, it's the people that make up businesses and regardless, you know, of the product, it's the people who make the product that make things happen. So we need to make sure that we've got the right culture and values and an environment where people can really thrive. So that's been the main focus of our effort is making sure that that's all in place, that the talented individuals can then come together and execute. Um, I'd say, I'd say another big lesson is just being present and not trying you know, you need to kind of listen, observe, and take a step back every now and then and give yourself a chance to really absorb what's going on because things are, are moving at a million miles an hour. There's lots of different pieces to the puzzle and it's very easy to kind of get sucked in and, um, and not see the wood for the trees. So I think being, being in the moment every now and then really, really helps. Um, a big part of, I think, the way I like to operate is you have to have fun in the process. So how can we build, build fun and excitement and energy into the business? So we, uh, we try and, you know, we, we were all, you mentioned four by fouring earlier or you side by side. We, we did that a few weeks ago as a team in the desert cool. outside of San Diego and oh, nice. we, we're in ax throwing and paddle boarding. And we try and get together and socially, distance responsible way as much as we can just to create that that culture and that energy and so important. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's so it's so important. By the way, I, uh, axe throwing after I've had like you know four or five beers is. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> I've done I've done a, I've done that a few times. Uh, it's pretty fun sitting around you know uh, on uh, yeah ATVing said axe throwing having some beers and sitting around by the campfire. That'll just that'll that it's good for the soul, isn't it? Yes, definitely. It really is good for the soul. Um, okay, very, very good. I, I appreciate you sharing all of that with me. Thank you. I want to ask you a couple of things about, uh, I guess, I don't know if this is a touchy subject or, or, or you're a sensitive subject, but this, the, whole, the whole oil versus other forms of energy and transformation that companies are trying, I feel like they're trying to go through and um, the, these topics, uh, I live in, I live in, um, Northern Colorado, rural Colorado, where, um, well, County Colorado, which is like super oil kind of like, you know, mentality. And then yep. I drive like 30 minutes towards Boulder. And it's like, you know, if you're in the oil industry, you're like evil. <laughs> no, I'm just playing. It's not that bad, but <laughs> my question is, um, where do you see that going? Like, where, where do you, do, do you see a planet that eventually operates without oil like a hundred years from now? I'm curious as to where you see that movement going. Well, I think what a lot of people don't realize is petroleum products are in absolutely everything we, right. we use. Right. You know, I'm surrounded here, you know, just computer, microphone, clothes i'm wearing you know there's petroleum products and absolutely everything we absolutely use everything. so i think people need to be cognizant of the fact that for the lifestyles we've chosen there's a there's a lot of need for what the oil and gas companies are creating mm. and i don't see that going away anytime soon but what we are also seeing is on the clean tech side of things the technologies and the price points of those technologies and the likes of the vector systems to empower people to then consider them and deploy those solutions are becoming more accessible and more viable all the time. So I think from an energy perspective and from a, a transportation perspective, I think we'll certainly see uh, the world being increasingly electrified. And I think we'll do that through cleaner energy resources. So I think we'll see a lot less oil and petrol being used in vehicles. Um, Gas is certainly a very good transition technology. You know, as we go from coal, you know, we've got to, we're going through this gas cycle, and that's helping us build out the renewable energy um, generation technologies in the process. And so we're on a journey. You know, there isn't there isn't one golden bullet. Um, it's going to be a combination of multiple different strategies. We believe distributed energy and microgrids. You know, bringing the energy closer to the need and not having to rely on centralized power generation and vulnerable transmission lines. Distributed energy is a huge opportunity for all of us. Um, it makes it more efficient. It makes it more effective. It makes it more secure and reliable. So I think we're going on that journey. Are we doing it quick enough? We'll see. I think there's, there's a lot of really smart people with a lot of money behind them. You know, we've seen just in the last few months with the Biden administration coming in and the amount of uh, money being injected into uh, green technology and, and that industry is 
is really creating a lot of stir. And that's that's not unique to the US. We're seeing the same in, in Europe as well and around the world. And increasingly countries are putting limits on emissions and you know when petrol driven cars can be you know produced up until I think some of the targets are 2025 no longer countries will accept um, petrol driven cars being sold in their jurisdictions so that's going to drive a huge amount of change mm-hmm. I think what the, what we haven't figured out yet is with then the resurgence of electric vehicles and things like that and increased electrification we need the infrastructure to be able to handle that and today the infrastructure can't handle it and so that's where we think there's a huge business opportunity to help build out that sustainable cleaner more profitable energy solution you know it has to be profitable for everyone so that's kind of our philosophy is it it has to be distributed it has to be sustainable it has to be profitable um that's the tricky part right how do you how do you transition in an organized logical fashion while being profitable and you know all at the same time like that that is really tricky right like yeah i I haven't met anybody you know it's so interesting when i have this conversation with people like like i've never met anybody that says yes i want to like pollute the planet and like you know kill us all like i want the planet to be dirty and nasty and polluted like nobody says that right now even even the oil guys even the people that are in the oil industry that work in the oil field like none of them nobody wants that right we all i think we all want a healthier planet right yeah um it's just making the right decisions to get there in a logical way that's profitable and smart and all of those things that you just said i thought you i thought you summarized that very well yeah Um, we've got you know we're pretty passionate about our our core values and vector and i think it kind of summarizes up nicely you know we we talk about challenging the limits adapting purposefully and then empowering co-creation and so you know we need to challenge the status quo and we need to ensure that we're all educated and we're all thinking outside the box and we know what's possible and not just doing stuff because that's the way it's always been done right but then we need to adapt with purpose we don't want to just adapt for the sake of it and throw a bunch of money at solutions that haven't been properly thought through so how do we make sure that we're all doing that in a in a smart and sustainable way and then the co-creation piece is around we have to do this as a as a community as a team as a Mm -hmm. as a a collective of people across the supply chain to make it happen otherwise you know no one company is going to solve this i think that's the the key to this is um, there needs to be a lot of collaboration I boil this challenge all the way down to something very small and personal. I want the mountains of Colorado and uh, and the sky to be, or I want the mountains to be clean. I want the sky to be blue, and I want a healthier planet. But I also want to fill up my jeep and take my ATV to the mountains and ride around with gasoline and oil. I mean, I want both, right? How do we do both? I don't know, you know. And that's what you're talking about is how do we do both in the, in the right way? So uh, I, I love your mission and values and what you guys stand for. I think it's I think it's fantastic, uh, and it's interesting that you're 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 leading Vecta, coming from your background where you used to all the way back in the day, go to old old oil field sites and, and clean up. It's it's fascinating that you had that journey. I think it's a perfect fit. Uh, I can see why 
all your friends and the connections around you said, Hey, cause you guys had to, at some point you're sitting around going, okay, well, who's going to be CEO. And they're all going, uh, Gareth, we think you're going to do that. <laughs> Were you like, no, 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 you do it. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, you guys had that conversation at some point, right? And it's funny, you know, I think my first ever performance review when I was like, I don't know, 23 years old or something, they have like the, the typical layout of what's your, your aspirations for the next year and then what's your five plus year goal. Right. And the five plus year goal, I said, I want to be CEO. And this was of this, this was it, it caught the reviewer by total surprise. But I've always wanted to kind of lead a, lead a business and, and empower a team and try and create a, an environment where people love coming to work and thrive and doing what they do. So I think it's always been on the horizon and. So, you know, you know, just talking to you over the last 40 minutes here, I've met a lot of leaders in my day, right? And I've like, you've been in leadership position my entire life. Uh, I, your personality has a, a very um, welcoming following is, is, is kind of what I would say. I mean, you, you, you meet, if you meet Gareth, you're not following him because he forced it on you. And he's this big overpowering, booming, like loud figure that you're like, okay, I better follow this guy or I'll get, or it'll be bad news. It's more, you have more of the personality where you, you visit with you and you're like, okay, well, I'm going to follow that guy because he, you know, he, he seems like he knows what he's doing. He's got a good head on his shoulder. He cares about people. He's careful uh, before he speaks. He thinks things through. Like, I, I like this guy. Like, you're not a forced leader. You're a welcoming, warm leader is, the, is what I feel from you, just on the conversation. Great. I appreciate that. If I had beers with you for a few hours, I'd be like, yeah, I think I'm going to follow him too. <laughs> <laughs> I think it depends on how many beers. Uh, you're right, right, right. Exactly. <laughs> or pints. Don't you call them pints? If you, if yeah. Where you're from, it's a pint, isn't it? I think. Yeah, I was at Belching Beaver with a friend the other day after a mountain bike ride, and we we sat down, and the the barman said, "Is that a sixteen ounce beer that you want?" And I had to turn around to him and say, "Is that what is that? Is it a pint? If it's a pint, then yes." <laughs> uh, last uh, last couple of questions. If you could call your twenty one year old self, were you twenty one coming out of university, roughly? How old are you? Yeah, twenty two. Twenty two. If you could call your 22 year old self now and talk to him, knowing what you know, what would you tell him? I think um, just say yes, live life to the max, live in the moment, get after it. Figure it out. Just yeah. say yes and go. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know how many times me and my partner have done that building our recruiting firm, RiderFlex? He, I, I, I shit you not. He is, he's called me over the last five years. He'll, he'll call me and be like, Hey man, uh, I just told them that we could find this, this, and this position. We've never done it before, but I told them we could do it. <laughs> yeah. like, okay, great. We'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, cool. And then the last one is if you had to put your core purpose into a sentence, your core purpose in life, if you had to summarize it and let's separate, let's separate your son and wife. Let's set that off to the side. So let's, let's just 
say for a minute that that's obviously your primary core purpose, but aside from them, how would you define your core purpose? My core purpose is to develop the right conditions and environment for a team and a community to thrive around the product that we're building to create this more sustainable, profitable, and distributed energy future. Because if we do that, then we'll all thrive right. and we'll all be happy and we'll all have access to the, uh, the lifestyle we want in a, in a, in a far more enjoyable way. Oof, I like it. Gareth, thank you so much for being on the Rider Flex podcast. I really appreciate you sharing your story. Yeah, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. If you think today's tip or guest interview can help someone you know, please share this with them. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to our channel and hit the like button. The RiderFlex podcast features entrepreneurs, business executives, and the stories behind how they got there, as well as daily tips on career advice and job interviewing. You can visit RiderFlex.com to learn more about us and get information and pricing on the recruiting and consulting services we provide. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day.